I was a child, and I will never forget it. His name was Glenn. He was a nice kid in our neighborhood, just up the street from us. He was about 18 years old or so at the time. I remember him as as a older teenager who uh, was a nice, nice boy. Would be the kid that would uh, shovel our driveway on a wintry morning for free. He murdered two girls in cold blood. One of them was another neighbor of ours, a girl that he went to school with. And the other girl was a girl that he met at a music festival. I remember when I first heard the news, why did he kill these girls? What would cause him to take human life? These are questions that haunt me. Consider the human being. We're not the strongest of all creatures in this world. Grizzly bears are certainly stronger than we are naturally. Yet, we are phenomenal. We have learned to use tools. For example, we can take a knife and have a claw that is much sharper than any lion's claw. We can take a stick and have a very long arm. We can build buildings and give us structures to live in that enable us to survive the most extreme temperatures. We've learned to build engines which have made us the fastest creature on the planet. And we can fly higher than any bird. It was a human that went to the moon and walked on it, not a space chimp. Humans are fascinating, phenomenal beings, aren't we? Additionally, we have a morality. Humans, we have this ability to reflect on our own actions and to consider the actions of others and then to act in ways based on those reflections. We have a morality like none other. We're born with souls. We're born with souls that live forever. When you look at a newborn baby, I hear a baby in the back, actually. Beautiful baby back there. When you see a newborn baby, what a, what a phenomenal being. I spoke with my 80-year-old neighbor when I was back home in Akron this last week. Newborns to 80 years old. We are interesting beings. Remarkable. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 makes sense of all of this. In the beginning, it says that God created humans. And in verse 26, it says that we were created in the image of God. We can only ascribe the significance that we have as human beings to the fact that we are created in this reality. In God's own image, He created man and woman. This means, among many other things, that we have bodies that are capable of great things. We have bodies and we have souls with great capability. 
We, have, we are capable of imaginations, of dreams and aspirations. We are capable of creative power, of relational abilities, and above all, we are capable of worshiping God. Moral, intellectual beings falling before a holy God. This is why in Genesis chapter 9, when God is looking at Noah in a post-flood world, God tells Noah that you've got the green light to kill and eat any animal. I'll read it to you. He says, uh, all the beasts of the earth, they're given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. So what that means is this. It's not immoral to kill and to eat animals, but it is immoral to kill and to eat humans. Are you tracking with me there? Yet in the 20th century, the past 100 years, we saw what was the bloodiest century known to mankind. And in some ways, ironically, you could say that we elevated the life of animal. And at the same time, we decreased the value of human life. In the 20th century, the numbers are sta- individual numbers alone are staggering. I'll give a couple to you. Hitler. Adolf Hitler. It's estimated that he killed, he was personally responsible for the death of 6 million Jews and 5 million others. Stalin estimated that he's responsible for the death of 5 million people. That's 11 million people who died under the hand, essentially, of two. Within the past few years alone, places like Sandy Hook, Aurora, Colorado, Virginia Tech, Washington Navy Yard, Fort Hood, and most recently, Emanuel AME, have become names that will forever go down in history of places of great tragedy, mass murder. Last year, in the year 2014, in the United States, there were 13,996 recorded murders. That's a lot. Last month in our city alone, we had 45. That's the highest number of murders we have seen in Baltimore City since 1972 when our city population was 250,000 more than it is today. One of those killed last month here in Baltimore was a cousin of one of our members. This commandment hits home for us. And flying under the radar of murder statistics are thousands and thousands and thousands of babies who lose their lives in abortion clinics and in hospitals in Baltimore City and in every other city and town in this country. 1.2 million, it's estimated. 1.2 million a year babies are aborted. That's hard to fathom. That's, that's two babies that lose their lives every minute. And then when we, when we take race into consideration, it's near genocide. 395 
out of every 1,000 African-American babies are aborted. Black lives matter. Life matters. Life is sacred. Yet just as we would maybe find it humane to shoot an old horse today, to put it out of its misery, we assist in the suicide of the terminally ill, and we call it humane. So today we come to the Sixth Commandment, which simply reads, You shall not murder. As God is restoring a new humanity here, God writes into stone what was written on the heart of Adam. Do not take innocent life. What happened? How did we go from the peace that reigned in the garden to the bloodshed that now marks human life? I want to approach this this morning under three captions. The first one is that the fall distorts sacred life. The second one is that the Father demands sacred life. The third is that the Son redeems sacred life. First, the the fall distorts sacred life. What happened? We are rebelling against God. We rebelled against God. And when Adam and Eve, when humanity rebelled against God, sin warped everything. And sin warped our understanding of life. The fall of Adam and Eve distorted the sacredness of human life. And friends, without Christ, we would be left today only with distortion. Immediately after the fall, if you were to just read through the story of the Bible, what we see is that humans immediately began to use their power against one another. In Genesis 4, the very first son kills his brother. The very first son takes up against his brother. And we see there in that text that God comes to Cain and He says, where's Abel? And and Abel says, it's a famous line. Does everybody know it? Am I am my brother's keeper. God says, just listen. His blood is speaking to me from the ground. The ground has swallowed him up. And then God places a curse on Cain and He says, from this day you will be driven and the ground will no longer produce fruit for you. You know, his response was, that's too much. I can't bear this punishment. No sense of guilt. No sense of sorrow. But I can no longer have what I want in life. And that is a fruitful ground. Immediately, the sacredness of life is lost. What happened? The Bible doesn't really break it down for us and explain exactly what happened in the human mind. The Bible just simply gives evidence of sin in the world. So track with me. Humans created in the image of God. Humans created with souls. Humans created with bodies that were meant to live forever. Sin enters the world, distorts the image of God. A cracked icon. A distortion. We no longer understand the sacredness of life. As a result of that, we immediately begin to use our power against one another and 
It is then evidenced by a human taking the life of, ending the life of another human being. The destruction of the image of God. And it has left us with every kind of dehumanization. You know, every single marriage problem is in some way rooted in the dehumanization of your spouse. Single folks who want to dehumanize your own self because you're not married and you're not as good as someone else because you don't have this achievement in life. Racism that exists in your own heart is rooted in the, in the elevation of your own race. Believing that your own race and culture is in some way more sacred than the other. This is the root of all genocide. The gospel for us, it gives us more than merely a eternal hope in the sweet by and by. But the gospel restores for us now an appreciation for this life. The gospel is not an invitation to escape humanity. But the gospel is an invitation for you to live a more human life. This is the very reason we're doing this block party on August 22nd. We want to embrace life. We want to show the community that life, human life, is beautiful. One point of application. You might ask yourself as you leave here today and as you go about your... You might ask yourself, in what way am I dehumanizing someone else in this community right here? And what would repentance this week look like if you changed? The fall distorts sacred life. Secondly, the Father demands the sacredness of life. Last March was the 25th anniversary of the largest art heist our country has ever known. It happened on uh, March 19th, 1990. 13 pieces one night were stolen. Some completely taken out whole, others cut out of their frames. 13 pieces of art were stolen out of the Gardner Museum in Boston. Of those pieces were Manets, of those pieces were Rembrandts, which if any of you are art enthusiasts, you know those names. As you can imagine, this brought horror to the art community. Five hundred million dollars of art was stolen that night. The response, what right do these people have to this art? What right do they have to destroy a Rembrandt? What right do we have to destroy God's creation? See, we are created in the image of God. We are icons of God. We are, our, every human being is an artwork of God. What right do we have as human beings to take another life into our hands and to destroy God's work? Look at the text. Right there, that word murder, you shall not murder, that's the Hebrew word ratzach, which is a fun word to say. It means uh, intentional murder, as what we would call murder today, where you intentionally kill somebody, you take up arms against someone. This would include everything from abortion to uh, euthanasia and everything in between. 
But Ratzach also, I lisp when I say that word, it also communicates the idea of negligence. Of just being stupid. And you get somebody killed as a result of being stupid. Meaning God places such a high value on human life that even negligence He would call murder. Driving too fast, speeding, and you kill an old man. God would say it's the breaking of the Sixth Commandment. Leaving a baby in, in, a, in a hot automobile. Negligence. And God would say that's the breaking of a Sixth Commandment. Human life is so intrinsically valuable that an act of negligence is a breaking of you shall not murder. Now, one good question to ask is, would a better translation just simply be kill? You should not kill, just broadly speaking. And the answer is no. This isn't actually saying that, that there are, uh, that, that you should never kill ever. For instance, there are forms of killing in the Bible that are just. Leviticus chapter 24 verse 17 says, anybody who takes the life of a human being is to be put to death. Exodus chapter 21 verse 12 says, if anyone strikes with a fatal blow, they are to be put to death. In the New Covenant, as Paul explains the outworking of our faith for us today living in society, in Romans chapter 13 verses 1 through 4, let me actually just turn there and I'll read this to you briefly. He says, as for one who is, I'm sorry, verse uh, chapter 13, let everyone Every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except God and those that have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authorities resists what God has appointed. Skipping down to verse 4, for he is God's servant, referring to the government, for, for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. And so the sword is given to the state. The state bears the office of holding and wielding the sword. Now, according to Exodus chapter 23, verse 7, however, our justice system must be just. Meaning, if you accuse John Doe of murder, and let's just say John Doe didn't kill anybody, and you give him a quick trial, and you give him the death penalty and you hang him, and he was innocent, guess who now bears the guilt of murder. You do. Exodus chapter 23 says, have nothing to do with a false charge and do not put an innocent and honest person to death. You see, the very reason that there is such a thing as just killing is only because killing is a great injustice. Murder is a great injustice. Because the image of God is plastered on every human being and every human being bears a life that is sacred. Go to Genesis chapter 9 with me. Let's spend some time here. In Genesis chapter 9, God is speaking now to Noah. The rainbow hangs in the sky as a sign of God's covenant grace and there in verses 1 through 3 we see that God permits Noah to eat the animals you can you can kill and you can eat 
the animals. But then there's a stark contrast when God begins to talk about human life. Look at verse 5. For your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it. And from man, for his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. For whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. You see right there, what is the number one reason God doesn't want us to kill each other? Exactly. Thank you, Tony. We are made in God's own image. That's why this commandment exists. That's why human life is sacred. That's why human life is to be valued. Because humans are created in God's own image. You can look at a human being and it's as if you are looking into a mirror and getting a glimpse of the glory of God Himself, even though we are warped and cracked icons. You fight insecurity. You think you're not pretty enough. You think you're not successful enough. Do you realize that you are made in God's own image? And He values you more than the Gardner Museum ever valued a Rembrandt. How might seeing the image of God plastered onto every single face of your coworkers change your nine to five? How might it change the way that we interact with our friends, family members? How might seeing the image of God plastered on every face of individuals in our community motivate us to love? Motivate us to love the hardest person to love. Motivate us to love the poorest of the poor. Motivate us to love the young lady who's got five kids and still trying to find happiness in men? How might it motivate us to love the hustler that stands on the corner? Every human being is created in God's image and just as we talked about last week, the pig farmer, he respected the life of his pork to be. How much more are we to respect the life, the human life that represents the image of God? The baby in the womb is a little icon of God. The 16-year-old with Down syndrome is a beautiful image of God. The 40-year-old quadriplegic bears God's image. And the 95-year-old with a terminal illness is an interesting phenomenon human being. The Father demands that we value sacred life. He demands it because human life bears His image. He demands it because He is the Creator of human life. And He demands it so that we might know the Redeemer. And this is our third caption. The Son redeems sacred life. Turn to Matthew chapter 5 with me. Murder is not caused first by just merely a determination to kill. Murder is first caused by a wicked state of the heart. 
You see, all sinful anger, all undue wrath, every thought and every word of, of hatred that we have toward another, every act of dehumanization, every bit of racism and pride that exists within us, every word of gossip in the church, every plot and strategy to tear down the image of another is the same stuff as murder. It's the same dark dirt. Look at Matthew chapter 5 as Jesus explains the sixth commandment in verse 21. He says right there, you've heard it said of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Raka there means worthless, empty-headed. Fool means scoundrel. This isn't mere name-calling. This is a heart disposition set against someone. Saying this is a worthless individual. Dehumanization of the other. This, this, this person is just beyond my, my, my care. They're outside of my ability to love. This is someone who I hate. You see, you religious people, you thought that you obeyed the sixth commandment simply because you've never pulled a trigger. Jesus is looking at every one of us. And He's saying, look at your heart. Look at your heart. It's the same stuff that's there. Whatever it is inside of you that wants to lift yourself up against another and to, 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 to deem the life of another as worthless. Well, that's the same stuff as murder. You've committed the same sin of murder. The singer Sujan Stevens, he has this very dark and depressing song called John Wayne Gacy. John Wayne Gacy was a serial killer back some years ago. He would hide the bodies of his victims under the floorboards in his house. The, the, the tag in Sujan Stevens' song it says, after, after painting this, this horrific, depressing picture all right, of John Wayne Gacy, he says, and in my best behavior, I am really just like him. Look beneath the floorboards for the secrets I have hid. What are beneath the floorboards of your heart? What bodies have you buried underneath those floorboards? The Father demands that we understand and respect the sacredness of every human life. But here's the good news. The Father provides exactly what He demands. And He demands no more than He provides. Let me explain it to you. The Word became flesh and lived among us. But as John 1 goes, if you know the chapter, the world did not recognize the light. He came into the world, but the world knew Him not. The world rejected Him. It was my sin that held Him there. Our rebellion 
placed Christ on the cross. My sin for the hatred in my own heart hung Jesus on the cross. The greatest murder in all of history. Light of light, very God of very God, the Son of God, put to death by human hands. And it was our sin and our rebellion that He died for. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, what Satan meant for our destruction and for His destruction, God was using for our salvation. The guilt of, of, of all of us, the guilt of our hatred, the guilt of our anger, the guilt of the one who's uh, committed intentional murder, the guilt of the one who's been negligent and caused the death of another, the guilt of suicide, the guilt of genocide, the guilt of of abortion, the guilt of euthanasia, the guilt of our the state of our heart was placed onto the shoulders of Christ and Christ hung and died for murderers just like you and I. Can you stand before God without a Redeemer? Knowing all that you know about your heart, you know more about your heart than I do. And I know more about my own heart than you do. Can you stand before God without a Savior? Can you run to God now with all of the hate and anger in your heart without a Redeemer? Friends, run to Christ this morning. Christ is standing with His arms wide open begging you, pleading, all who come to Me will find rest. Run to Him with all that you are. Come to Him with absolutely nothing. Come naked before Him with your wills. Handing, handing your will over to Christ. Your dreams, your aspirations, your desires present your whole self to Christ. Just as you are. Come in need of a Redeemer. And you will find in Him redemption. You will find in Him life. Watch how He restores you to God. He who comes to Me, I will in no way cast out. All who are in Christ are in God. Are you in Him? Has there ever been a time where you have cried out to Him, I need a Savior? Has there ever been a time where you have cried out to Him, I need life, I need forgiveness, I need hope? I guarantee you that this morning as you cry out, if you cry out to Him, you will find all of that in Him. You will find forgiveness. You will find life. And you will find hope in Christ. God, I see the wickedness of my own heart. I know that I need a Redeemer. Save me. Forgive me. And find life. You see, the grave couldn't keep Him. The grave couldn't keep Him. One day, Christ will return to this world. And in Revelation chapter 22, we see that in that day there will grow a tree. And the leaves that hang on the tree will be for the healing of the nations. What that means is, is peace. In that day, there will be no more killing. In that day, there will be no more brother taking arms against brother. In that day, there will be no more nice boys down the street who kill the neighbor girl. 
death will forever be put away. The image of God will be forever restored on the face of this new humanity. And my question for you this morning is this, will you be there? Are you part of this new humanity? All who trust in Christ now have the promise that you are forgiven of your sins now and that one day you too have the promise, the hope of being risen with Christ and living forever in the presence of God. You see, our motivation today to repent and change, our motivation to turn from our anger and hatred that is in our heart, it flows from the cross of Jesus Christ. God does not leave us merely with a demand. But God has left us with Jesus. God has given us a provision. So let us live. Let us display to the world who God is. Let us display to the world the sacredness of life as we cry out against murder, abortion, genocide, euthanasia. And as we battle against the hate and anger that exists and that lurks deep within our own hearts, we find all that we need in the life. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And all who come to Him find hope. Pray with me. Father, we thank You for this time that we could open Your Word and be reminded of the sacredness of life. God, would You find it in Your mercy to raise us up as a people who would display the sacredness of life to the world around us. That we would display the sacredness of life in the way that we love one another, in the way that we serve the community around us, in the way that we cry out against the injustice of lives taken in this world. May Your kingdom come to this earth as it is in heaven. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.